Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and around the world, this is your host for the David Harris Jr. Show. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is another show with your brother right here, hopefully one of your favorite deplorable brothers, David J. Harris Jr. And today I have the privilege and honor of having another guest on for a second time here on my show. Jenna Ellis is a constitutional law attorney that loves breaking down the facts. She's been on Hannity, Tucker, Judge Janine, pretty much anybody you can think of. And she was constantly breaking down those facts when the president actually saw her, reached out to her, and after talking to her for a little bit, he said, uh, come into the Oval Office and meet with me. And when she came in, he said, Jenna, how are you? You work for me now. So it is a privilege and an honor to have my good friend and fellow, uh, fellow member of the Falkirk Center, Jenna Ellis, on with us today. Jenna, how are you doing today, my sister? Great, David, and thanks so much for that introduction. It's so much fun to be back with you. Uh, the last time that we had this podcast, I mean, it was just so much fun. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, it was a lot of fun, and you you literally had only been working for the boss for POTUS for just I think a few weeks or more at that time. L- let me just ask you, what has it been like now that it's been a few months that you've been working for the president of the United States? What's it been? What's it been like for you? Yeah, um, it's been life changing, frankly. Uh, so I work primarily for the campaign um, as a senior legal advisor to reelect Donald Trump. Uh, definitely, we can see throughout the the course of the past uh, four years, and even moving forward, and especially now that Biden is the presumptive nominee, uh, why it's so important that we have to reelect Donald Trump. And then I also serve as a private legal counsel to him as well. And you know, it's it's been so fascinating, David. Even over the course of the last couple of months, how many things we've already gone through. So, um, you know, I went through the impeachment phase uh, with him and now this uh, whole coronavirus pandemic and just to see how many things have hit this president and how many things he has had to go through in the midst of just these constant attacks from the fake news media, from the radical left Democrats. Um, in addition to doing his job as leading, uh, as the leader of the free world and leading the United States. And I've just come to know him as uh, not only someone that I respected and appreciated from afar, but now on knowing him personally, I respect him and appreciate him on a whole new level to see uh, how much his faith is rock solid, how much uh, he absolutely loves and appreciates America, and how much he's keeping, uh, you know, a really good, good humor through this. And he's just keeping a really good and positive attitude and having joy in the Lord in the midst of all of these trying circumstances. And frankly, that's something that has been an encouragement to me personally, just to see how much uh, he's been there for his own personal family and how much he has been such a leader and manager throughout this whole nationwide, worldwide pandemic. And I think that that's really important for us as Americans to really appreciate the leadership there, because if we had uh, any weaker of a leader, we wouldn't be in the position that we are moving forward in the United States, looking to reopen our economy and still being the strongest leader on the world stage. You covered so many, so many points there, but one of the biggest ones that I really hope Americans are paying attention to is the fact that you've seen our president, Donald Trump, 
become, be the leader that he is. I mean, he's been a leader for decades, you know, governing, managing his businesses, running his companies, you know, overseeing so many different departments, aspects, going through a lot of things. I really truly believe that all of that was led him. I believe personally that, that God wanted him to be the president of the United States and the ability that he has, the leadership skills that he has, and the grace and the peace to be able to a- operate effectively during this pandemic is something that I don't believe we would have seen from any other po- political leader, Democrat or Republican, to be honest with you. I mean, can you imagine if it was Hillary Clinton in office right now while we're dealing with this pandemic, seeing what some of the governors, specifically Democrat governors, are doing in their own home states locking down churches, yet leaving abortion clinics and even liquor stores open. I can't even think. I I, I don't want to think of what we'd be dealing with, but it's a far cry from uh, from what we've got. We've got a true leader that's actually doing a ton, and it seems that he's handling it with grace. I had Bishop Harry Jackson on my podcast uh, earlier uh, in the week, and he shared with me that he did notice a little bit of a demeanor change in the president over the last few weeks. Harry Jackson Jr. was in the Oval Office last Friday for Good Friday. He spoke that prayer. He read from some scriptures and he prayed for the president, the vice president, his administration, and then our country. Have you noticed any difference at all in his demeanor over just dealing with this current pandemic compared to all the stuff that he's dealt with before? You know, that's a great question, David. And I think um, that, you know, there is a demeanor change in the sense that um, he recognizes and he said this very openly um, during several press conferences that the decisions that he's making in the midst of this pandemic are uh, the biggest decisions that he knows he'll ever make in his lifetime. And I think that that is a really sobering moment. And he's obviously, I mean, he's taking everything so seriously. And um, so there is a little bit different of, of a posture looking at being a wartime president versus being, you know, the the president who's managed uh, this robust and just booming economy and in a time of, you know, really great favor, God's favor on the United States. And so, um, so I think, you know, just like as Christians, it's we weep with those who weep, we have joy with those who have joy. And I think that the president entered into that as well. The struggles of the American people, he sees the fear that people have had, um, the change in lifestyle, even though it's very temporary and we know that, there's still a lot of uncertainty. And so he's met that with exceptional leadership, with confidence, with courage, and with solidarity with the American people. And so that is a little bit of a different demeanor than, um, for example, some of the rallies where he's gone and had, you know, a lot of jokes and such a really good time. I mean, I took my parents to the rally in Colorado. Um, He wanted to meet them. That was a really fun moment for all of us. And, um, you know, we were just, we were laughing the whole way through. It was such a fun, positive um, atmosphere and attitude. And so I think the whole country um, has a little bit different of the demeanor. And certainly our president has met that. But uh, but I think that it's really important to know that even in um, even in private, he still has that wonderful sense of confidence in America. Mm. And that is something that we as Christians um, and fellow Christians, just like President Trump and Vice President Pence, we can have confidence in the American people because we have confidence in God, because our values that have shaped this great country um, are the values that have founded 
this country on the eternal word of God. And we know that our rights are pre-political. They come from God, our creator, not our government. And so even though we're seeing that there are some state and local leaders that would like to be little tyrants, uh, I have confidence in the system of America and how we were designed that ultimately our rights will be preserved and protected. And we will have uh, through, through the precedent to that set that will shape religious liberty, uh, will shape the federal and state government in a national crisis moving forward, what powers uh, they have and what's what's limited, what, uh, what they can and can't do. Uh, I have every confidence that America will meet this challenge, recognizing that we have eternal faith in God and we understand that our rights come from God and also our government system. Uh, comes from God as well. And that's something that we can take uh, peace in, we can have courage in and confidence. And I love that President Trump has been such an amazing leader through this, but he's also partnered with the private sector. He's partnered with state governors. Um, He has been a wonderful CEO of America and a manager, understanding that he's deploying all of his resources and he's making sure to work together. And that's where the whole of government approach has been very effective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was quick to reach out to the private sector. I'm thankful that it doesn't seem like we've heard that he had to implement, uh, actually use the powers of the National Defense Act in order to make companies comply. Most businesses and companies are complying and doing what they need to do and what they can do to help all Americans in this uh, in this current pandemic that we're in which is a beautiful thing. He also passed the National Emergencies Act. And I know you and I were talking a little bit about this yesterday. He was pretty forward and bold a couple of days ago when he declared and basically was saying that he had the powers of the president of the United States during this current time that we're in to, it seemed like, you know, to kind of dictate what the states would or would not be able to do. And then it seemed like yesterday his uh, tone changed just a bit toned down just a bit. Can you clarify that for us? Does he actually, in fact, because of the National Emergencies Act, have the authority to be able to dictate or tell the governors what to do in their states? Well, so this is a great clarification, David, because we look back to the Constitution itself and to Article 2, Section 1, which says that all uh, power of the executive is vested in a president of the United States. So on that level, any powers that are delegated by the Constitution or through congressional legislation, if Congress gives the president specific powers during wartime, during a national emergency, uh, during specific instances that can be triggered, then uh, those powers are also given to the president of the United States. And so what he meant by that is that all executive powers are totally and absolutely his. It is his decision. And so, of course, mainstream media, they're looking to take one or two words and make a whole big case out of it. And isn't it so funny that suddenly these Democrat governors and local you know, media and mainstream media who have been all for a centralized national government and the <laughs> dictator of Obama, the stroke of his phone in 10, you know, they suddenly are rediscovering the 10th Amendment which actually provides that the powers not delegated specifically to the federal government 
are reserved to the states or to the people, which, by the way, they never quote that, or to the people. So suddenly they're rediscovering the 10th Amendment just because President Trump said he has total authority. But you have to listen to what he said in context. I have had multiple conversations, I mean, so many throughout the course of this pandemic about the constitutional issues uh, with him directly, with the vice president, you know, with with other members of, of our team, Trump, even in terms of, uh, you know, how uh, the campaign is moving forward because we've moved everything online. You know, the rallies, of course, aren't happening right now. So so just in terms of the constitutional piece of this, of course, he understands that. And he's not he's never in any way, shape or form acted like a dictator. He has acted like right. the manager that the Constitution requires. And so it's very important to understand that there is a separation of powers between what the federal government can do, which is to provide resources, support, and recommendations to the state and local leaders. And then they have to implement those recommendations uh, in a way that is also constitutionally proper, according to their limited powers, their state constitutions, and the police power that's provided through the 10th Amendment. And I think, David, that the challenges that we're seeing, all of the, the people who are really frustrated with some of these very overbroad stay-at-home orders, that's not coming from the federal government. That's not coming from President Trump. Right. That's coming from these governors that are yep. taking the opportunity to be little tyrants in their states and to try to say, because we have a compelling national health crisis, that means I can determine between you and you and you what is and isn't an essential business, what is and isn't an essential product that you can go out and buy. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. And those types of over broad stretching, that's that's taking total authority on the state level to completely extreme and unconstitutional level that we don't see whatsoever on the federal level with President Trump or his task force. You know, I think it's a perfect example of what some of these governors have done, specifically mostly Democrat governors, what they've done in their own states with leaving liquor stores open, leaving abortion clinics open, and then locking down, even arresting church pastors and giving tickets to, to church parishioners that go that want to just go to church and they're sitting in their cars practicing social distancing. I mean, my friend is Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, the the pastor in Florida that got arrested. And he was practicing social distancing. He wasn't just saying throw caution to the wind. He was doing the guy who's following the guidelines that was put forth by the coronavirus task force. And they still went and arrested him. So he's got a lawsuit on his hands. They, they let him out the next day. But I think it's a perfect example to the American people of leadership and how ideologies will determine a leader's actions during a crisis like this. And it goes back to my point that had Hillary Clinton been in office right now, she probably would have enacted the National Defense Act, the National Production Act, or the National Defense Production Act. She probably would have enacted the National Emergencies Act, and she probably would have then tried to impose her will like a dictator, like a tyrant on all of the states and lock everything down, take control over all the private sector, say we need to do what we need to do to, to serve the people and we'd have a completely different case, a completely different situation on our hands right now. So hopefully the American people see that it's the governors in each state that are in initiating these total lockdowns. Michigan looks like they could wind up in a riotous situation very soon. There's people taken to the streets, not listening to the stay at home order. I mean, the governor of Michigan said, literally, you cannot go see your friends. You, you can't leave your house. You can't go see your friends. How constitutional is that? 
<laughs> it's ridiculously unconstitutional, David. <laughs> and, you know, this is something where I think that the, the lesson for all of us is that we understand freedom and liberty, and we understand that as a principle. And as um, as Americans, we understand that we have liberty, but we also are recognizing how fragile that really is and how we could be moments away at any given time between the government coming in and uh, doing something actually unconstitutional. And so we need to be ever vigilant to make sure that we are protecting and preserving the principles of freedom and liberty that our constitution demands and mandates for the government to protect and preserve our rights and liberties and freedoms so that not only for our own sake, but for our children's sake and the next generation and to continue this wonderful privilege that we have of living in a free society America. And so uh, this is really important to understand that there always, at, since 1787 and the Constitutional Convention, when, you know, a whole group of lawyers and pastors and, you know, uh, statesmen got together and argued about this tension between rights and liberties that need to be protected, they're not absolute, but then what limited powers can we give government to do its job of promoting good, restraining evil? Government is a good and valuable thing, and we need it for a well-ordered society. But how can we give limited powers to the government to control the citizens in some ways while making sure to foster liberty, but then oblige the government to basically police itself? That's why we have a separation of powers. That's why we have a judicial branch that's non-political to say to either the executive or the legislative on the federal, state, and local level, no, that is a bridge too far. No, we are reviewing your actions to make sure that it's constitutional. And this is, again, why the biggest reason that I voted for Donald Trump proudly in 2016 was because of the judiciary. Like you said, David, if Hillary Clinton had been in office, how different would our Supreme Court look right now? How different would our federal bench look right now? And how different would these judges be holding for activist courts to say, sure, we're going to let this slide. We're, we're globalists. We like these types of overreach and just allow it instead of being originalists and saying, we know that we as the judiciary are impartial. It's our job to police the legislative and the executive. And when there is a clash like these stay-at-home orders, when there is completely targeting of Christians and churches, when they're saying, when some of these states are saying, sure, it's fine to social distance at a grocery store, but it's not okay to do that exact same regulation at a church just because your service is different? Absolutely not. And so a, a, yeah, a, a Trump appointee, uh, Justin Walker, who's now been nominated to the D.C. Circuit bench, by the way, um, he wrote a brilliant summary out of Kentucky that was talking about how he never thought in his own lifetime he would have to uh, see the types of overreach that these state and local governments are. And he said, no, a bridge too far. So we have to make sure that we are voting in every single election. We make sure that we're voting for originalists so that we have a judiciary that will police the government to make sure to protect and preserve our rights and freedoms in America. See, I think that's so important. It seems to me, again, America needs a history lesson. America needs a constitutional lesson. Amer every American should be required throughout high school, probably starting in grammar school, 
to learn, study, and understand the Constitution of the United States. Because it's when people don't understand the Constitution of the United States, and they think then that the government is who gives us our rights, and then therefore the government can take away our rights, that we wind up with people that wind up voting for individuals that they don't understand. That individual actually isn't a constitutionalist. They, they don't believe in the original text of the Constitution. They're on the progressive side of things. They're looking to, well, interpret the Constitution to fit their narrative, which fits their political agenda. And it winds up, seems to me, you, you can correct me, obviously, you're the expert if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like conservatives which are majorly Republicans, those two normally coincide pretty pretty well, seem to align more with the original way the Constitution was written and interpreted and written at that time, while on the Democrat side of things and liberal side of things, they're on the progressive side, which is, well, we can take that Constitution. It wasn't meant for now, and that was a long time ago, and we need to progress it. We need to change it, and it needs to adapt to fit our needs right now. Is that a good, is that a good uh, way to describe the differences between the two parties seemingly that we've got in our country right now? Absolutely. So there's, there's a split in the philosophical ideology. And so when we talk about the difference between conservatives and liberals, which of course conservatives are uh, generally Republicans, libertarians, um, a lot of the independents who recognize the values and freedoms that we hold dear. And then liberals are the progressive socialists, the democratic socialists, the, the whole democratic party now. And the difference between the two is that conservatism is wanting to conserve something, right? That's the root word. We're conserving our liberties and freedom. We're conserving the foundation of America and our document, which gives specific limited powers to the federal government that doesn't change regardless of what era we're in. I still have a First Amendment right uh, to freedom of speech and uh, that's protected and preserved by the First Amendment, whether or not I'm talking here online with you or whether I was talking uh, to a, a group and a gathering outside of a church in you know, 1787. It, it, the method and the medium may be different, but the right itself hasn't changed. It doesn't evolve. And so the liberals and the progressives, they want to turn the Constitution into what they call a fluid document. And they want to make it evolve and bend and twist and be malleable, just depending on whatever they want for government and their activism at the time. And that's a very dangerous proposition. It's the same thing that pro-life argues, by the way, David, to say that we don't arbitrarily define what is and isn't personhood, when life begins, that's science. It's fundamental. It's absolute. It doesn't change. But they want to be able to manipulate everything to fit their own progressive agenda, to take rights away from us, and to grow the government bigger into this monster that it was never intended to be. So that's the foundational difference between conserving absolute truth and the truth of the foundation of America and our constitution versus being a progressive liberal that wants to just do whatever's convenient for the Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's, the Joe Biden's, the, the Democratic Socialists, the AOC's, the Bernie Sanders. They're all just different sides of the same exact progressive coin. You know, it's it's really alarming that we've gotten to this place. I, I really want to dive a little deeper on this for a lot of a lot of people that I know watching or listening to this. How is it that over two hundred years ago some individuals got together and and created a document that could could literally stand the test of time? Because that's the argument. Well, that was a long time ago. You know, they couldn't have thought that, you know, we're going to be dealing with a pandemic like we are right now. How is it that they created, I think, something that's absolutely so beautiful 
and so unique. I mean, there's there's never been anything like it before that any government has ever used to to operate from. The Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence are just two beautiful pieces of, of work that are the foundation for this country. But how, for those that say, well, it was a long time ago, things change, uh, why should we support the way that the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence were written and believe and trust that it, it that it still works today and will work in a hundred or five hundred years from now. Yeah, because truth doesn't change, and you have mm. to look at the context of what the Declaration of Independence required of the American government and put the U.S. Constitution in context. So what a lot of the progressive left will do is they'll take and lift the Constitution entirely out of context and say that powers are given to the government that can be just changed at whim and also that our rights come from the Constitution. So they they morph the Constitution into a document that it actually isn't. So we understand uh, U.S. history and we look back, the Declaration of Independence declared we hold these truths to be self-evident. So truth is self-evident. It doesn't change that all men were created equal, that they're endowed by their creator, not their government, with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Really quick, I just got to tell you, that statement, I, I get goosebumps when I hear it. I feel God in that statement. I believe that those men were led literally by the creator of the universe, which they're giving credit to the creator of the universe, are endowed by our creator. I feel God in that very statement that has become the foundation for all the liberties that we we love and maybe even take for granted sometimes, not right now. But I just I just want to share to those listening or watching, it is so beautiful the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, especially the way the Declaration of Independence was written, it's so beautiful and so unique. And I truly believe that you can feel God in it when you're reading it. And he's He's uh, He's spoken about, he's attributed to for everything that we have, which ties back into why so much of the progressive left is anti-God. It's, it's not, they, I, I still don't understand how there's, Democrats or liberals that have faith and are believers when that whole progressive left agenda is anti-God. Share with us why the why the left's agenda is seems to be just pretty much anti-God in every way. Yeah, well, you know, rights can only come from one of two sources, either from the collective judgment of men. We can get together and determine what we think rights are when we think a personhood starts, what, what we think is the measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil, or that comes from something outside of man's collective judgment, right, which would be God. And so those are the only two logical options. And so for people who recognize and have a faith in God, but they still really want to have their own judgment supersede God's, that's the disconnect. Because for Christians and for our founding fathers, when they understood and they used those beautiful names for God, our creator, the one who made us in his image, endowed us with the fundamental rights that we have. And then they call it the declaration uh, at the end of the Declaration of Independence. They call God the supreme judge of the universe because he is he is the one who has. Uh, has proclaimed through his sovereignty. He's ordained the world to which to how we see it. We are presented uh, to the reality of the world the way that God ordained in his sovereignty. We can't escape that there are fundamental truths of the reality to which we're presented. And so because of that, we have to understand 
that our rights come from God, our creator. We are made in his image. And the founders required then and mandated that our government was chiefly obligated to preserve and protect those rights in a society that was well-ordered to make sure to enforce the measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil of the Judeo-Christian God who we understand has absolute truth, right and wrong, truth does not change. And so because of that, if we understand the Constitution in context, all that our founders did, they unanimously agreed on that proposition. Then they just disagreed and argued about how best to implement. That's how our our Constitution was designed. They said, okay, how can we best do that? What's the best system of government that will preserve and protect truth? And our rights. And they created this wonderful system of government that has a separation of powers, that has a legislative, executive, and judicial that are not vested in one king, but are separated into branches, that have a federal, a state, and a local level, and give rights to we the people to pursue happiness, to make decisions for ourselves and our families, and in the context of free exercise of religion and our churches, right? And so then when they design the system, they knew that they were giving only principles uh, and specific limited powers to government that we, the people, through our consent, because we are the holders of rights, government only has limited powers. They don't have rights. The, The government only has limited powers. We, the people, can then amend our constitution through Article 5 if any branch or any part of government seeks to overstep. And we have amended our constitution 27 times in our nation's history. And that's uh, the Bill of Rights is the first 10 amendments to make sure that we are specifically enumerating the rights that are that government systems throughout the course of human history have infringed upon um, most readily. It's the right to uh, freedom of speech, free exercise of religion, freedom of assembly, our right to uh, come together to speak the truth about God. We have to be able to do that in a free society. And so then as we have moved forward in America, conservatives have always understood that the declaration was unanimously declaring that our rights are pre-political and our constitution only preserves and protects those rights. And that those rights don't change. And so as we move forward and as technology grows, as we're presented with you know a new pandemic presented with new facts that make law in this country, all we're doing is still applying those very same principles and limited powers of government to make sure that we are protecting and preserving the very same rights that our founders recognized in 1776. I hope this, I hope that this podcast and this episode goes viral amongst the millennials and the younger generation, because there's such a disconnect between so many, and especially, and they're our future, right? They're, they're the future of this country. There's such a disconnect between appreciating the Constitution and the Declaration for how they were written, really truly understanding how they were written. For any American that loves the freedoms that we hold so dear, freedom of, freedom of speech, freedom to assemble, all, all this, all the simple freedoms that we, that we just appreciate and so many of us take for granted, we literally have those freedoms because our founding fathers acknowledged that those freedoms come from God and then constructed a form of government that I love the, the other beautiful thing I've been going through, not, not most recently, but I've been going through this deeper 
really breakdown of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and it actually attributes. It says that the only that you 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 mentioned it already. It refers to God as the supreme ruler. He's the only one that has the ability to manage all these other branches. When it's a bunch of individuals that are managing a government, well, you've got to have the executive, you've got to have the judicial, and you've got to have the legislative. The legislative. I was, I was, my head was somewhere else. But they broke those three branches out in specifically because they said only the supreme ruler has the ability to manage all of those three. When you're leaving it up to men. Those three have to be separated so that they're not too much power is not good. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely when when it's left in the hands of men. So for Americans that just love the freedoms that we have, then we've got to understand that it's because of the way the Declaration and the Constitution were written. And that then gives attributes those freedoms that we love back to God. It's actually a beautiful it's a beautiful narrative to be able to share share with somebody. If you love what we have here in our in our country, if you love what we have in America, you should literally thank God for it. Yes, speak personally, David. I mean, part of my journey uh, through understanding um, who God is and um, and understanding in a whole new way my own faith, uh, because I was raised as a Christian, I understood you know all of the things that we talk about in church and the principles of God and His wonderful character, and um, and then I went to law school, right? And I was challenged in law school with all of these very progressive ideas of um, of a government that really we don't teach well, and that a lot of Americans genuinely don't understand. And as a Christian. I was confronted with a lot of these issues, like standing up for religious liberty, standing up for the pro-life position, um, standing up for rights and freedoms and liberties. But if you only understand that from a passionate top level standpoint, then it becomes really difficult to make a reasoned, rational argument uh, if all you're doing is saying, well, my Christian faith says because then, of course, the left will say, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God. We have, you know, freedom of religion in, in this country. And, and they try to invoke separation of church and state. And so they just dismiss you out of hand. And so what I was challenged with as a law student going through understanding how I advocate for the eternal truth of God in the context of liberty and government and civics and constitutional law. I did a lot of research and this became my passion in my ministry, really, mm. to teach other people and uh, teach Americans about the truth of our foundation of the Christian worldview and what the Declaration acknowledges. And that uh, the American experiment was so unique throughout the course of human history because no other nation before had ever recognized that our rights are pre-political, that they come from God, not our government. This was such a unique experiment, and that's why America has been so prosperous. That's why America recognizes these foundations of principles and freedoms. And so it's not that we just have an argument and we need the government and our legislators to buy into the argument and see my viewpoint on pro-life or liberty or religious liberty. It's that we have the only argument, the only constitutionally sound argument. And I have been in front of legislators and um, testifying in front of, uh, you know, legislatures and congresses all over the country, telling them we can debate these ideas, but you don't have the limited power to hold any other position besides pro-life because the Constitution does not give you that power. And when mm -hmm. we can speak 
from a position of authority on the Constitution and not just say because my faith tells me so, but because that's what the Constitution requires and it is a defense of my faith. But it's not separated in that way. There is no separation of church and state. Then we can come with authority and we can say this is because of what America was founded upon. And so that's why also I wrote my book. If you're if you're interested in learning more about this, sharing this passion, uh, wanting to understand more of uh, the history of how the Constitution was designed in context, I wrote my book in order to share with the American people what I learned through uh, my questioning and through my, uh, frankly, a crisis of faith, of understanding how do I defend my faith and also defend the principles of liberty and freedom in the context of government. So my book is titled The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution, and I go through all of the history, and I wrote it because I want to share with the American people what I learned through my own uh, crisis of faith and understanding what is the truth of the reality between this so-called separation of church and state and how we can understand what the American experiment was truly designed for, how we can protect the principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, even in 2020. And I would encourage everyone if you're interested in this topic and you want and you have this passion you have to get educated as well on the best arguments because passion is wonderful but we also have have to have the knowledge to be able to combat the false lies of the left when they say that abortion is a woman's right and that the Constitution provides uh, the right to abortion. Well, that's absolutely false. But we can't just say that, that you have to buy into our faith in order to advance that argument. We have to show from a constitutional legal standpoint why that's absolutely false. And so I would just encourage everyone in the midst of this pandemic, as we're recognizing our principles of uh, values and of liberty and freedom, and we're focusing more on this topic, take this time to go back and learn about uh, the reality and the truth of how America was designed and founded. It's, it was a wonderful, amazing journey for me. And I, I still get so passionate every time I talk about the Constitution and the Declaration because I'm so proud, David, to be an American. And I'm so proud to support President Trump, who shares that passion. He understands this. And this is the reason that he ran for office and the only reason that he wanted to become the President of the United States to make sure that the principles of liberty and freedom are protected and preserved through the next generation. And I'm so excited that I get to help with that whole effort. And um, I would just encourage everyone who's listening out there, if you're a Christian, um, especially get equipped, get educated. Now's the time. Well, and it's really what we, it's really what we have because we've all met some really passionate people that don't have any facts. We've all met some very passionate people about women's health, about their perceived social justice issues. We've met some really, I've personally met some really passionate people that'll scream in your face with passion. And then as soon as you drop a few facts to them and ask them questions, they don't have a response. So it truly is our only and best weapon in the fight against an ideology that truly wants to crump, uh, crush and just absolutely decimate our country as facts. So p- right now, I think, is the best time, especially while everybody's self-quarantining, to get Jenna's book and read it. Say the name of it for us again and tell us where uh, tell us all where we can find it. 
Yes, thank you. It's called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution, and you can find it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, really anywhere books are sold. uh, The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. Um, It was my first book, so I didn't realize that uh, shorter titles are a lot easier to say on media. (laughs) I just wanted to describe describe uh, what I was writing. So, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't prolific there at all, but uh, it's, it's an apt title because it describes why our constitution is based in the moral and eternal truth of God and how we can understand um, our constitution in context. And like you said, David, advocate from a place of passion, but also with knowledge, because we have a reasonable, rational faith and we have a reasonable, rational system of government that absolutely defends life, defends liberty, defends our religious, sincerely held religious beliefs, all of these things that we so dearly cherish. And and not even just for all the believers, but if you're listening to this right now and you love the freedoms that we have in this country and you want a better understanding of what the left and the progressive left movement is trying to take away from us as Americans, which would completely reshape our country and drive us towards socialism and then it's communism and now America is no longer the land of the free uh, or the home of the brave because the brave didn't take the time to do their own research, know the facts, and then stand up for why we are the greatest country in this wor- in the world. So please get Jenna's book if you want to have a clear understanding of absolute truths, moral truths, of why we are the greatest country in the world, how the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are beautifully crafted to be able to have created us as the as one of the youngest countries in the world to be the most prosperous, the most generous, the most welcoming, uh, you know, the, the number one superpower of the world. It's because of those documents from our founding fathers. I've got a few more minutes before we go. I wanted to cover a, qu- a couple quick things because right now we've got we've got two things. We've got a case that's coming out of Texas that has the potential to change the way Roe v. Wade uh, to change Roe v. Wade. Period. Talk, talk to us about that case a few minutes and, and just tell us what's going on with this case and why it could change the way that Roe v. Wade has been interpreted. Yeah, this is actually a really exciting uh, possibility. And so, you know, Texas, of course, in the midst of this pandemic, uh, part of Governor Abbott's uh, stay at home order and um, this whole difference between uh, what what can happen in terms of essential versus non-essential businesses and practices. One of the things in the Texas order is acknowledging that abortions are elective medical intervention procedures. Uh, They're not emergency. They're not um, something that is uh, required in the midst of this pandemic. We know that the truth of abortion is that they're elective procedures that are medical interventions specifically designed to cause the death of of the child and to end the pregnancy. And so um, because of the scarce resources of um, medical facilities, of personnel, of PPE equipment, all of these things, um, then part of the Texas order was to uh, limit abortion access. And so, of course, Planned Parenthood challenged that. Um, it went to the Fifth Circuit, which um, which w- were the beautiful opinion, a two to one opinion that uh, essentially affirmed what Texas was doing and was saying that that no, abortion is not a uh, an emergency procedure. It's something that is um, entirely elective. And um, so we're going to go ahead and say that uh, that this is lawful and constitutional for Texas to do. So Planned Parenthood has now appealed that case to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court is not obligated by law to take up this case and to hear it. Uh, but if they choose to do that, this case has the opportunity 
for the now originalist conservative majority to hold and to find uh, abortion for the reality that it is, which is the medical intervention to specifically cause the death of a child. And it's not a necessary procedure. And also to reshape what uh, it's an it's an amazing opportunity. We need to be praying for this. And, um, you know, and I want to be clear for people who uh, who have heard this lie that. Um, you know, abortion is a constitutional right of women. Uh, that's absolutely false. And Roe versus Wade didn't actually hold that. No court in America has ever actually held that. Roe versus Wade in 1973 found that the government has a compelling interest to preserve and protect life, including unborn life. But they also found that women have a right to privacy in their health care decision making. And so then the court created this balancing test between the government's compelling interest in protecting life and a woman's privacy in healthcare and medical decision-making, so allowed for some abortions in some circumstances. Now, in 1973, we didn't have the medical technology of ultrasounds and all the things that we have today. I'm convinced that if Roe versus Wade in 1973, the same exact case were before the U.S. Supreme Court today, we would see an entirely different case. So we have to understand and we can't use the left's narrative and talk about abortion as a woman's right. That's false. It's a lie. And the Supreme Court now through this case arising out of Texas has the opportunity to reshape abortion law and to protect and preserve the government's interest in life of the unborn child. It's amazing. Well, that's an exciting, potentially life-changing, literally life-giving um, conclusion. Hopefully the Supreme Court does look at it. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that would have to happen, but it's not essential. It's not an essential, an essential medical treatment. It's, it's not really a medical treatment at all, other than just to end the life of a, of a, of a growing baby inside of a mother. So I love the fact that you point out that it is, there is no constitutional right to have an abortion. And the, the advances that we've made in science since 1973, you'd think that more and more people would be privy to the facts of those those advancements and that it's not just a clump of cells, that a baby has a heartbeat at six weeks, has fingers and toes and can feel pain is at eight and 10 weeks. And it's a growing, living little baby in there that needs to be protected. The fact that we've allowed, you know, and I, again, I think I blame a large part of it on, on the church and pastors that don't talk about it more directly. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of pastors out there that side with Democrats and that prop Democrats up. I, I had a really video that went really viral where I was just I was broken down. I was listening to Kanye West's one of Kanye West's songs from his new album that's you know all about God, and I felt I feel God's presence in so much of his music now uh, and in that CD. And I was just thinking about the babies, all the babies that have been murdered, just tortured, gruesomely killed inside the womb. And then I was thinking about how many, especially in the black community, that will invite these Democrats to come and speak at their churches when it's a part of the Democrat platform that abortion is okay and that abortion should be furthered. And to me, it is, uh, it was just heart, it was heart wrenching. But I think that, and, and I called them out. I just called out the pastors. I said, you know, God will replace you if you don't begin to stand up for the lives of these unborn babies. And you can't stand for the lives of unborn babies and then invite somebody whose party platform is for killing the lives of unborn babies. You just can't do that. And unfortunately, not just in the black community, but, you know, in a lot of churches around this country, 
there are pastors that do do exactly that. And I just don't, I, I don't understand and can't comprehend the, the ability for a pastor to yield and give up that type of protection and, and, and give that kind of permission. Cause when you give a platform to somebody, unless you challenge and charge it or, or uh, disagree with it publicly right in front of them, then you're giving that platform uh, permission to your audience, to your church, to your parishioners. So the fact that that's, that's happened at such a, a degree is heartbreaking, but I really hope everybody gets your book. I, I've got one final question for you. How many times have you flown on Air Force One? <laughs> uh, you know, I've, it's, it's been quite a few times now, which um, has, has been amazing. You know, I've been privileged to attend uh, some of the rallies with the president as a uh, part of a member of uh, team Trump. And so that's been, uh, that's been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to our country reopening and um, being able to go and see uh, and meet all of these wonderful Americans across the country. I love meeting people at rallies and hopefully we'll get back to that soon. Yes, I hope that we do get back to that soon. I hope one day I get to fly out Air Force One. <laughs> I know uh, you've uh, you've experience. you've talked to the president probably almost every day. Would you say you talk to him every day? Uh, not every day, but uh, you know, pretty frequently. And you know, he's he's a really busy uh, man. But you know, you know, David, it's it's also amazing oh, what a wonderful manager he is too. Because even in the midst of all this pandemic uh, crisis and stuff. I was one of the people that he called just to say, Hey, how are you doing? And, you know, everything, you know, he, is, he is such a wonderful manager in that regard that he cares about his people and to have the president of the United States, um, you know, reach out to all of the members of his team, uh, just to make sure that everybody's doing okay. I mean, I know he would reach out to every single American if he could. Well, I feel like he's reaching out to us by him taking the uh, opportunity pretty much every single day to have a press conference and bring us the truth, bring us the facts, bring us along in his decision-making process, and then also giving all of Americans the opportunity to see just how biased some of those reporters are on the left that are just trying to get him. I know that guy, Brian Karam, yesterday, the president, I can tell he was heated, man. He he pulled away like, oh, and then he just kept his <laughs> composure and just kept on going. But it's like, I'll leave if you want to stay and you want to keep acting like a crazy fool, I'll leave. But uh, I appreciate him bringing us into his decision making processes, at least letting us know where he's at in the process and bringing it to us every day. And I thought it was beautiful the way he trolled the Democrats and the liberal, the, the liberal biased media. Uh, and the Democrats in the media by showing that video uh, yesterday or the day before, I think it was two, Monday, um, just showing how biased that, that they've amazing. been. So I think it's waking a lot of people up. So please tell the president, if you can remember, if it's appropriate, you know, when you talk to him, hey, by the way, David J. Harris Jr. said hi. We're praying for him. Oh, I will. And, uh, you know, he's retweeted you a lot and, you know, definitely is a fan of yours, too. So, you know, it's, it's just so great to see how many people across the country through this uh, through this movement, frankly, of keeping America great and first, you know, making America great again. I mean, that's not just a campaign slogan that goes back to the values of liberty and freedom that our country was founded upon and the original reason why America was designed to be great and is great. And I think we're reclaiming that in a huge way uh, from you know 2016 moving forward. And I'm really excited to continue to reclaim uh, keeping America great uh, this November. So definitely excited to uh, and look forward to re-inaugurating uh, President Trump uh, yet again in January of next year. Yes, it's going to happen. It's got to. We will not survive as a country with a Joe Biden president. <laughs> no, that's just 
That's just, that's just such a crazy proposition. I mean, if anybody sees what Joe Biden, I mean, that he can't even string together uh, 10 words for three minutes to, to save his, his candidacy, it's yeah. just, it is really sad. And to also see, and I have right part that's talking about Joe Biden flip-flopping and how his agenda is progressive. And through this podcast, you know, we've been talking about that term. And so really go and look and see um, and investigate for yourself what Joe Biden actually stands for. And the the principles that he stands for are so insanely progressive and are absolutely not founded in um, American values of liberty and freedom. It's just frightening. And so, again, I mean, not only should we be real electing Donald Trump uh, because we believe wholeheartedly in what he's helping uh, preserve and protect in America, but especially to make sure that we don't have such a progressive uh, liberal in the White House. That should never, ever happen again uh, throughout American history. Any idea who who do you think he'll pick as his, as his uh, nominee for VP? You know, um, that'll be interesting because he uh, he promised, I think, really too soon uh, for, for a woman. Yeah, so a lot of people are suggesting Andrew Cuomo. So I'm like, well, he'll have to, what, identify as a woman then in your whole progressive <laughs> That would fit their guess. party. Right. So, um, so we'll see. And, you know, and frankly, as a woman, David, that was insulting to me to say, okay, you're going to just say, I'm going to get a woman and essentially um, use a woman as a VP candidate, just to bolster your own candidacy. If he picks a woman, it should be because she is the most qualified for the position. So, I mean, I was frankly, you know, thinking that's ridiculous. Um, So I don't know. We'll we'll see. I know the Michigan governor, who's been absolutely crazy with these orders, is really lobbying hard for that. There are a number of other women. Um, So so we'll see. And, you know, we'll see if Cuomo decides to put his hat in the ring. Um, It'll Definitely be an exciting few months leading up to the election, just uh, frankly to laugh at them. You know, I always enjoy that. So, <laughs> well, they make it so easy. It's, it's, they make it so easy. I personally think that whoever he picks as VP is who they, is who the DNC wants to be president. Because if for some god awful reason, uh, you know, Hail Mary or vo- a lot of voter fraud, Joe Biden was to become president, he'd probably step down within this first month, if not week, because of his mental condition. It's obvious he's battling something mental. It's I think it's dementia. I have people that uh, that message me constantly that say they have family members that have dementia and they know what it looks like. And they say that's what it looks like. So for, for the DNC to put him through this and for his family to allow him to go through this, to hopeful to, to, for them to hope that he that he could become president they must be putting him through it because they're just trying to throw a Hail Mary in there with a VP pick and wind up. And then think about that. If that was to happen, obviously just conjecture on my part, but if that was to happen, then America would wind up with a person for the president of the United States that nobody picked, nobody voted for, that didn't even make it to the primaries. It didn't make it. It's just, it's, it's crazy to me that that's where we're at, but that's in fact where we're at. Yeah, so just all the more reason to uh, not even have America have to contemplate that and make sure you get out and vote, vote for Donald Trump and also vote all the way down ticket. I mean, we're seeing all of this overreach in governor and state and local uh, elections. And so make sure that you are getting out, you are voting for Donald Trump, but you're also making sure to have your voice heard in your own state as well. Absolutely, because we need the House. We need to keep the Senate and we need President Donald Trump with those Three working together, I believe the next four years will be the most glorious, explosive for our economy and prosperous that we've ever, ever seen. 
amen to that. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Jenna, my friend, for joining me today. We're praying for you. We're just believing that God is going to continue to open up more doors for you, that you, we just pray that he would give you wisdom uh, beyond your years and beyond your own understanding to be able to provide that wisdom to the president and his administration. And we just pray that in the middle of this, in the midst of this, you would just enjoy the deep rest that our Papa God can give that just uh, rejuvenates your cells, your soul, your mind, to just keep you primed and ready for everything that uh, our country and our president needs from you. So God bless you, sister. Such a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much, David. All right. I'd love to have you back again soon. Okay. Oh yeah, man. We could just continue to talk about this for hours. So yeah, let's do it again soon. (laughs) All right. We will. We will. It'll be my pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, David. All right. Bye. Friends, that right there is uh, an individual with close connection with the president, somebody that you should all read her book. Get her book and read it. Every believer should read it because we should all understand exactly why the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are what they are, how they were written, how they give honor and credit to our creator, and that is what has made us the most prosperous and most blessed superpower in the world. Uh, so please get that book. And if this message resonated with you, please share it with five friends or maybe even 10 friends. Just copy the link, send it out to some friends, text message it to some friends. And please give me five stars if you love these interviews. And please leave a review as well. Let uh, uh, That goes a long way in helping me to build this podcast platform and the audience of people that I can bring truth directly to the masses. So God bless you today. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.